Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and I would normally introduce our, our guest today as the hardest working economist in Canada, but we were supposed to tape this last Friday and he took Friday off. So uh, Eric, uh, slipping a little bit, uh, how, our chief economist at RBC Global Asset Management, did you have a nice long weekend? I did. I must say, I feel completely out of touch. I've been scrambling to catch up. I don't know if I ever will. This is the curse of taking holidays, I'm afraid, but uh, good to be back anyways. Well, we, uh, we, 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 we taped a podcast with uh, Stu Kedwell yesterday, and the first question I asked him, he said, nope, and pretty much everyone dropped off at that point, and so we probably lost half the listeners there with, uh, with, with you being out of touch. But of course, you're never out of touch. We're just joking around. Uh, you were probably working even on your day off, which is, uh, is what you typically do. And uh, what, where we would normally come in with you is, is the day of the jobs report. In the U.S., sometimes that lines up with Canada, so uh, that makes it nice. I don't think it did this week, uh, but the, the U.S. jobs report was uh, w- was fairly light relative to to, to most projections. Uh, w- what are your thoughts coming out of the, the the jobs report? I guess there were some revisions up on previous months. Uh, what do you think mm-hmm. the state of the the U.S. and Canadian economy is, uh, given what you uh, you saw from that report last week? Yeah, it, it does seem to confirm this idea that the, the North American economy, certainly the U.S. economy, is slowing to some extent. So for those who don't know, 235,000 new jobs, which is wonderful by almost any normal standard. It would sure. be more than double what you'd need uh, just to keep taking along with population growth, but but not the 700 and some thousand that the consensus had looked for. And you know, Dave, you mentioned there were positive revisions. There were things that were that were good beneath the surface. But nevertheless, uh, it, it did underwhelm by, by an order of about three times. And so it didn't quite generate that expected job creation. And broadly speaking, when you look at why, it is things like leisure and hospitality underperforming. And so that seems to square fairly well with the view that it's the Delta variant, which of course began to spread much more notably in the US late in the summer. And so uh, showing up in these August numbers and, and and some weakness evident. And so I suppose the, the main takeaway is that there is a, a little bit of economic suffering emerging from the Delta variant, but let's equally recognize this is still consistent with economic growth. So this is not the U.S. suddenly in recession. This is the U.S. growing a bit less quickly than had previously been imagined. This is still uh, eating through the elevated levels of unemployment. And so uh, still progress being made, but just not quite as, as quick as previously imagined. I, I think that's where we are. And if I can abstract away from that and just say, and when we look at other economic data, a lot of it does rhyme with this in terms of numbers that are a bit less strong uh, and surprise indices that have gone from positive to being slightly disappointing on average. And so that's, it, it is part of a broader pattern, but it's not a, it's not a recession. It's, it's not even uh, lo- losing distance versus you know, where we want to be. It's just moving towards that goal a bit more more slowly. Yeah, and, and given that's your the, the what you're seeing in the US, that would apply to Canada as well. I think so. I, I would say, I, if anything, I feel a little more optimistic on the Canadian side. I guess okay. we'll see what this Friday's job numbers will yes. bring. And you know, broadly, the expectation is fairly good. So I guess we could yet be sideswiped there as well. But uh, in general, you know, Canada hasn't been hit as much by the Delta variant. We haven't seen the sorts of consequences. You know, I'll, I'll hold my judgment to the extent the numbers are going higher, unfortunately. And so in, sure. in a couple of months, we could equally see some some underwhelming economic figures on, on, on the back of this latest wave. But for the moment, actually, uh, I, I would say Canada, to me, seems to be to have been accelerating in August as opposed to what, what was a deceleration in the U.S. So, so a couple of reports that I saw coming out of the U.S. Uh, yesterday, um, some large firms that were cutting their growth forecast, their GDP forecast for 2021, uh, and, and they, they held their growth for, for, for 2022. Do you think this is a case of 
of this is just um, a revision of growth that that's growth that is effectively lost uh, or, or that was anticipated and just isn't going to arrive? Or is this just a case of, you know, as you suggested, the Delta variant, particularly in the U.S., has risen up and, and that that is just pushing some of that growth that we're ultimately going to get uh, out a little bit forward into 2022, 2023? I think it's mostly the, the latter. And so when, when I see yeah. these forecasters adjust their numbers, mostly what's happened is they've downgraded their third quarter GDP assumptions, by the way, in, in part, in significant part, on the basis of some underwhelming August figures. And so they're sure. saying August was weak, therefore Q3 not as good as they thought, therefore mathematically 2021 not as good uh, as they thought. Uh, and you know, I, I think when I see the numbers, they're also pricing in maybe a little less enthusiasm in, in say, September and that kind of thing as well. Uh, but nevertheless, that's mostly what, what they're up to. And it, it seems as though at least some of them are, are then adding a bit to 2022, or at least holding steady on the 2022 growth forecast. And so uh, I think the view is still at some point, the economy gets back to its potential. And that's a fairly I shouldn't say precisely defined, but at least you know people aren't changing their definition of what that constitutes too quickly. And so uh, I, I think you should get that back later. I'll just mention from our perspective, I don't take any joy in, in forecast downgrades or in economic misses, but you'll let the record show we did pivot over the last few quarters to a below consensus stance of our own. So we've been saying we think uh, maybe this growth isn't going to be quite as good as the market has been assuming. And I happen to think that may also be a theme for 2022 as much as we forecast entirely wonderful numbers are just not quite as, as good as the market. Market is still assuming. So I would say maybe that theme isn't quite done, but it's, you know, it's, it's still a theme of economic recovery. It's just one uh, that's a little slower than before. And I think back to the post-financial crisis period, and it was a long recovery, and it wasn't, it, it came about a little more slowly than people maybe initially budgeted for. And so perhaps there's a, a repeating theme there. So, so bottom, bottom line, once again, you're just, you're just ahead of the, the crowd again. <laughs> every once in a while we are Dave. Believe every, it or not. every once in a while you uh you get it it's a, it's, it's a tough business economic projections uh i, I uh, another article i was reading yesterday uh talk was talking about uh, the housing market in canada uh as as we turn to the canadian economy and of course the housing market has been just a powerful force uh in the, in the canadian economy uh and, and has been for for a number of years accelerated uh, through, by, by the pandemic and the lower interest rates created by the pandemic. Uh, but starting to see some signs of slowing in the housing housing market in Canada. It, do you see that as, as potentially being a bit of a headwind on the Canadian economy? Uh, or, or is this, again, something that you, you anticipated, expected, and because it just couldn't continue the way it was? Yeah, I, I think it's both. I mean, it, it, is, a, it is likely to be a headwind, but, uh, but it, it, it's been long anticipated. So I, I think most forecasters, including ourselves, have that in there. And you know, let, let me emphasize, this isn't a prediction, and I can't speak for others, but nevertheless, in terms of our own thinking, this isn't a prediction that home prices you know, fall back to where they were before the pandemic. There's nothing like that. That's not the kind of reversal that people are thinking about. It's more on the order of there was a very high level of you know, resales and this sort of thing. And those the level of resales probably reverts back toward a, a more familiar kind of level. The rate of home price appreciation probably reverts toward a more familiar level as well. So it's not, it's not a full-on reversal from a price perspective. And uh, technically, there, there may be a slight drag on economic growth on that basis just because you know, it's impossible for real estate lawyers to continue closing so many transactions over the next year compared to what they did perhaps over the last year. But in the end, it seems to me there's enough 
strength elsewhere and, and room for, for growth in other sectors that we should be okay. But, uh, you know, when I think back on it as much as, you know, one gets anxious about how far home prices have gone and all these sorts of things, it was a well-timed housing boom, right? This was a period of extreme economic suffering and we managed to pull a lot of people who might have otherwise been unemployed and, and a lot of wealth was created. And so it was, you know, to the extent that we were going to have a boom like this, it was good timing. Uh, I would personally prefer a bit of a smoother ride over a longer period of time. But nevertheless, it did serve its purpose and to the extent the economy is now on its feet, it's probably okay if, if the housing market settles down a bit. The, uh, the, the election in Canada is uh, you know, less, than, less than two weeks away, and uh, we certainly don't want to get uh, political or get uh, to support one party or another here. Uh, but, but as you look out at, at, the, at, at the different parties and some of the things they're talking about from, from a, a policy perspective, uh, is there anything that stands out as being, you know, something that you would be potentially concerned about in terms of, of, of upsetting the recovery or, or, or most of the main parties, you know, pretty much in a space that you're, you're comfortable with as an economist? Yeah, I don't think I'd have a level of concern in terms of the recovery being seriously interfered with. You know, the common theme of elections is everyone promises a lot of spending for the most part. And so if anything, this runs really almost right across all the parties, you'd expect some extra spending, if anything, emerging from this. There are you know, different views of the world and, and some parties have some, some, some mini tax hikes planned and a few other things. I won't say it's all exactly indifferent to financial markets, but I don't see something that would send the, the economy on a sharply divergent course in, in one scenario or the other end, you know, based on the, the polling I'm seeing, and this of course could change quite significantly, but based on the polling I'm seeing, it you know, most likely is still a minority government of some description, which of course limits the enthusiasm of whatever party wins. And gee, as it stands right now, you know, the odds are fairly evenly balanced between liberals and conservatives. This may age poorly, Dave. At some point, someone will win, <laughs> I suppose. But right now, it's hard, it's hard to say either way. And so we can't even really speak with precision as to whether the economy lurches a little to the left or a little to the right. And so uh, at this point in time, we just need to recognize there could be some different policies, but I'm, I'm not seeing kind of radical proposals. I know there's concern, for instance, that uh, that you know, the liberal platform includes what could be an extra tax on banks. And the sort of math that's been done on that suggests that maybe it would be a 2% hit to bank earnings. And so not wonderful if you're owning bank stocks, of course, but in the end, it's, you know, earnings have grown by well more than that over the last year as an example. And so it's, a, it's more of a blip than a fundamental change to the relative attractiveness of one sector versus another. Yeah, and, and we, we, will, uh, we will highlight at this point in the podcast for, for listeners that you are the chief economist, not chief election prognosticator <laughs> at RBC right. Global Asset Management. So we, uh, we, we won't hold you to, uh, to, to that forecast. Uh, but uh, I, 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 is it fair to say, just as a general principle, that Canadians and Canadian investors probably pay too much attention to Canadian election and Canadian election results and the impact it has on on the economy versus you know the behemoth south of the border that uh, that tends to drive you know be much more closely correlated to to the type of economic activity we have going on in Canada. Yeah, you know, it's a little embarrassing in the sense that uh, I'd like it if it was Canadian issues and themes and developments that are the big driver for Canadian markets. But in, in the end, as much as these things do matter, uh, as, as you say, uh, the, the rest of the world and, of course, the U.S. in a major way are, are big influences. And we, we've done formal studies and we said, what's the biggest driver of the Canadian 10-year yield? And is it the Bank of Canada decision or is it just the U.S. 10-year yield? And the answer is the U.S. 10-year yield is much more powerful as an explainer. And it was similar answers could be given in terms of the stock market, particularly when you've got a stock 
stock market that's disproportionately skewed toward resources, and resources are the most global of all, perhaps, markets in some ways. And so uh, I, I think that's right. And that just more generally, when I think about elections as, as well, just keep in mind, you know, this is an election that changes or, or doesn't, but could change the political landscape for a couple of years, up to four years. It's not a forever thing. Uh, and so whatever policies get implemented could well be reversed the next time and then reversed again the time after that. And so if you're a long-term investor, it's important to recognize that element as well. Yeah, and I, and I raise that point for a couple of reasons. One is just that, you, you know, you're going to see headlines around whatever the result of the election is in a, in a couple of weeks. And it, 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 it may start to, to get you as an investor uh, thinking, because you know, the headlines will be designed to, uh, you know, to create interest and, and might over, overstate the impact uh, of one party winning or another minority major, majority. And then also to, to highlight why we do spend a lot of time when we're talking to you uh, from an economic perspective, uh, sitting here in Canada, we spend a lot of time talking about the U.S. because it's such an important influence on on everything that's happening economically in Canada. So uh, we are proud Canadians, but sometimes we have to recognize that uh, the impact of the U.S. economy on the Canadian economy uh, is quite enormous. Absolutely. And of course, Dave, we worked so hard to build this wonderful suite of international investment products as well. And so most of those <laughs> things don't care much about the Canadian election at all. Absolutely. So let's just uh, let's just wrap up with uh, with something else. And, and, and maybe this is one that we'll be we'll dig into deeper uh, in, in the coming months. Uh, but but obviously, the global pandemic has changed the way businesses operate. And I, I read a few articles over uh, over my vacation uh, that were just talking about uh, the, the impact that that's going to have on businesses in terms of productivity so that the implementation of new technologies through the, the pandemic and just the way businesses have learned and adapt in the face of a crisis that will persist beyond the pandemic uh, are making companies more productive or making in, you know, uh, the employees more productive. And at the same time, we've seen reductions in costs. Now, this is important because markets are at all time highs. Interest rates are near, near as, as, as low as they can go. So we likely end up in, in a higher interest rate environment in the future. So to sustain current stock prices, we have to have uh, profit growth. Uh, is, are, are you seeing any indications, U.S., Canada, anywhere in the world that, that, that really excite you around what you're seeing in terms of productivity gains uh, across businesses? Yes and no and yes. Is that enough, Dave, or should I elaborate on each of those? Uh, so, I mean, certainly yes. And initially, we saw quite a remarkable jump in productivity j just about around the world. Uh, I should warn, some of it was sort of artificial in the sense that it was basically... As it happened, the pandemic restricted the activity in low productivity sectors. And so, you know, restaurants, you know, a waiter can't serve a thousand tables and maybe an investment advisor can. And they might not have been able to do that 20 years ago, thanks to technology. And so uh, we happen to see low productivity sectors limited. And so just sort of mechanically productivity appeared to be to be surging. We've since given back a lot of that. So that would be the no. We've kind of unwound some of the initial seeming productivity miracle. Uh, however, it, it does feel to me that as probably we emerge from this with a, you know, spending shifting more towards online and companies investing more in technology and people learning to do things efficiently and maybe even just as simple as cutting out the commute, which is a, you know an hour or two of, of a day. Sure. And, and even that can be a productivity uh, spike or a quality of life spike, depending on how one deploys that extra time, I suppose. Uh, but I, so I, I do think there are some real uh, productivity gains that have emerged from this. Uh, I will warn that we are less clear on some of the costs that are beneath the surface in terms of like new hires aren't getting the same sort of training 
training they might have and what amount of collaboration is being missed and you know, will we suddenly have less innovation four years from now because that great new product idea didn't happen. So there are some offsets, but I would still say on the net, I feel as though this experience has probably been a driver of more productivity. Uh, and then lastly, I'll just say, we've been saying for a while now, we, we, we're speculating, but we think perhaps the next few decades could be a period of faster productivity growth. Uh, part of that claim is just that the last decade was unusually slow. So it's kind of an easy call to say, maybe it won't be as bad as that. You don't need to make heroic claims beyond that. But you know, we, we look at the amount of, of CapEx that's happening. We look at the, the amount of research and development and the kind of places where it is and the, the capacity for that to have, have a big impact on the economy. Uh, we, we look at some of the post-pandemic effects, certainly as well. We look at the basic science out there and the extent to which really important things are happening in uh, you know, miniaturization and uh, GNOW with, with RNA vaccines and these sorts of things and all, all sorts of directions. And so we're hoping that we will see a little more productivity growth. I'll, I'll warn it's probably not enough to fully offset the demographic decline that we've suffered over the last few uh -huh. decades. So it's probably still not a 3% growth world to my eye. It's probably still a 2% a, a growth world, but it might have been a 1% growth world without without this extra little boost. So we're, we're hopeful that will be delivered. And of course, that is ultimately money in the pockets of investors in the form of more earnings and this sort of thing. Excellent. Well, we, 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 uh, we thank you for, uh, for giving us a little bit more of your time than normal today. I thought it was a uh, good time on the calendar to, uh, to get a nice reset coming out of the summer uh, with, uh, with kids headed back to school to, in, in most of Canada tomorrow so, uh, or, or already back at school. So, Eric, uh, thank you always for, uh, for your time and, uh, and, and, and a lot of great insights into what's going on uh, in, the, uh, in the economy, particularly here in North America. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.